Hello, and welcome to the Should I Go See It podcast, where we take a deeper dive into the one-sentence reviews on shouldigoseeit.com. This week, we'll be discussing Babylon, The Whale, and Megan. I'm your host, Bill George. With me, as always, AJ Rebecca and super producer, Craig Stanton. Happy New Year, fellas. I love how the the name of a, a killer robot movie was like, oh, and Megan. 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 Like, it's a sitcom. She's here. <laughs> it's not Mathegan. <laughs> I mean. Or M3gan. <laughs> M3gan. <laughs> Mathegan is great. <laughs> Mathegan. Uh, gentlemen, hello. Well, ha- yeah. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Craig. Happy New Year, Bill. How was your holidays, respectively? Plural. No complaints. Fantastic. They were adequate. Ooh, adequate. Let's dig deeper into adequate. <laughs> uh, why were they adequate, William? Uh, they were fine. It was just, it was just a, like, kind of a low-key year, a low-voltage year. Saw the family, and that was fine, and it was good. LV. You know what was not low-voltage is when you, my friend, is when you were uh, the, the fan of the game at the Boston Celtics, right? Something like that? Season ticket holder of the year? Yes. I was the season ticket member of the game, the STM of the game, if you will. Uh, my father and I have had Celtic season tickets now for 20 years. So on the 20th Holy year, shit. they uh, celebrated us. And it was pretty fun because we got to go there early and get a photo uh, at half court. And we got to sit courtside, like under the net where like Whisk- Wick Rosebeck sits to like watch the warmups. Uh, and and then they put us on the Jumbotron, and they gave me a signed uh, basketball, signed by Brad Stevens. Holy shit. And someone on my staff was at the game, and they happened to look up at the Jumbotron <laughs> and see me up there, and they were freaking out. <laughs> Incredible. That's great. Uh, Incredible. But also, when we were sitting courtside, Grant Williams, Celtics player, came over to like... Celtics legend, Grant yeah. Williams. <laughs> came over and started chatting with a couple people to our left, and it was clear that he knew the people, right? Because he's like having a whole blown conversation with them. And one of and the the kid that was there in that group was like twelve years old, whatever. Like, got a quick photo. And my dad turns to me and was like, "Do you do you want me to get a photo with you and Grant Williams?" I'm like, first of all, I'm an adult. <laughs> Second of all, like he's clearly like he clearly knows them, and he's and he's practicing. Like, I'm not gonna bother him for a photo. So then my dad gets up. And just starts inching his way towards Grant Williams while looking at me. And like he gets so close to Grant Williams, Grant finally turns and is like, did, did you want a photo? Or So I have a photo <laughs> of my dad with Grant Williams. And I did didn't he get damage the park? Did he damage the parquet floor? No, no, he was fine. No, was because fine. his nuts are so massive for that move that I thought they might have <laughs> just put like a like a serious dent in the hardwood. Oh my god! And yeah, and then other people started running up and getting photos. Grant Williams got stuck into doing like fifty photos because my dad just like inched his way up there. Okay, so great Celtics time, adequate. Yeah, it was good. Uh, it was good. It was good. Um, Christmas break, New Year. How about you? It was you know fine, like you said, adequate. Uh, my child was in daycare uh, the week between Christmas and New Year's, and we were off, which we did. We allowed to, we went into the city one day. I got back into like a gym routine, so it was more of like a maintaining sort of mental physical health thing, um, which I feel pretty good about. I am not doing a dry January like I did last year. I'm doing what the kids are calling a damp January. Oh, that's a thing. Damp you are. Yeah, damp. Where you, you only drink Monday, th- you, you don't drink Sunday through Thursday. You just drink Friday nights and Saturday nights, basically. Only business hours, Monday through Yeah, Friday. you don't drink on school nights, basically. It feels like a, uh, a random and arbitrary <laughs> decision. Whatever, man. Listen, we all can't be saints okay. like you. Yep, okay, sure so 
couple things we need to follow up on. One, yes. on our last episode, we got uh, really angry and loud regarding Is Die Hard a Christmas Movie? So you put a poll up on the Should I Go See It Instagram account. Um, and drum roll. You want me to do the poll results first here? Yeah, give me the poll results first. Okay, all right. So make sure to follow at Should I Go See It. We did the poll oh, in, fucking in the stories. In the stories. And uh, we got a, a good amount of activity. So a lot of engagement. So I appreciate that. In the end, Die Hard as a Christmas movie got 64% of the vote and is not a Christmas movie. Got 36% of the vote. Let's fucking go. So the people have spoken. So, yeah. As we expected, AJ won the poll. Now, okay. So we knew that was going to happen. Duh. Uh, but B, in the comments, did people like poke the bear or were they like, like what were the things that people said? It was a mixed bag. It was a mixed bag. So a couple a couple shout outs here. Okay. Uh, Jesse Blanchard uh, commented on the post about the the episode itself saying this is the content I've been waiting for. So I hope it I hope it did not disappoint. Oh great. Uh Jordan Rose said he was listening to the episode uh, as he took the poll and it's totally not a Christmas movie. So thank you Jordan for your support. Uh Adam Atkinson Lewis name I haven't heard in a long time. Hope you're doing well. He said his favorite moment of 2022 was seeing Die Hard listed as a Christmas movie on the United flight. Like he must have been doing like the little in flight, and they had holiday movies, and Die Hard was in that Holy list. Holy shit. So AJ's take has corporate backing. It was Exactly. Thank you. Uh, and then Spencer Newton said uh, he voted it is a Die Hard movie because contrary to BG's point about the script working with other holidays, they wouldn't uh, shut down the plaza and have an office party for anything else. Ergo, it's a Christmas movie. Hmm. And he begrudgingly agrees that it is a Christmas movie. But he agrees with me in spirit, whatever that means, Spencer. Uh, uh, straddling the fence on that one. Spen- really really threading that needle, Spencer. Yeah. How do you feel about this now? Now that you've seen the results and have heard the people, do you, do you feel any different about your take? So here is an interesting point that uh, another friend of the show, Matt Rodding, brought up that made me think about it a little differently, which was, even if intrinsically it is not a Christmas movie, which I believe I uh, soundly proved last time that it is not a Christmas movie intrinsically, even if in the text of the film it's not a Christmas movie, if over low these 20 years, society has essentially deemed it a Christmas movie by watching it around Christmas time, having it the top rental during Christmas time, listing it as a Christmas movie, like whether it was or is not a Christmas movie in and of itself, the fact that society has now kind of made it that is like worth examining in terms of its status, which I think is a fair point. But that being said, I would still stand by the notion that it is not a Christmas movie. And just because we change it over time, just like with language, you know how like I could care less now means the same thing as couldn't care less just because people used it improperly for so long or literally now means figuratively because people use it so long, we eventually adapt to it. Just because society has now made it a Christmas movie, I still stand by the fact that it's not a Christmas movie. But I understand. I mean, Craig has said it uh, for a while on this show and outside is that like the, the cultural zeitgeist is a, real, is a real thing. And the older we get and as times change, popular culture and society change stuff, right? If you were to ask my father, 
um, what's Carhartt? He would say, well, Carhartt's a, like a working man's brand, right? It's for people who are working in the field or in, in blue collar things all day. If you asked a young kid who's wearing a Carhartt being like, what is Carhartt for? He's like, oh, it, it's, you know, it's, it's fashion brand. Up, it's streetwear brand. And you're like, holy fuck. Like those are two wildly different things, but just based on time and how, you know, things shift and change, people just have different uh, takes and uh, attachments, um, which is crazy to yeah. think about. Yeah, um, it is. Well, I'm glad. The only message I got was from a longtime viewer of the show. Um, I'm not going to call it names, um, but the comment was just said, you, you're both fucking idiots. And that was it. But um, <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> it is. What I'll it take is. it. All right. So anything that we watched in the last few weeks, I think all three of us have watched multiple different things. Yeah, a couple of things. I think you... Yeah, you, you caught up on some things. I know both of you watched Glass Onion. We were texting about it. Um, I had seen it and reviewed it. I gave it a yes in an earlier episode, but you both now got a chance to see it once it hit Netflix. What were your thoughts? Agree with the yes? Yeah, I agree with the yes. What I did, though, afterwards is I watched the original Knives Out after I watched Glass Onion. So I didn't queue up the first one first and then watch it. I actually watched Glass Onion and then I watched the first one. Uh, when you when you watch Glass Onion by itself, you're like, okay, like good flick, tons of laughs, enjoyable. Not great, but like, should I go see it? Yes. And then you watch, I watched uh, Knives Out and I was like, oh, you're, this yeah. is fucking minor leagues versus the pros. I mean, the first Knives Out is just so goddamn good. Yeah, Knives Out is a masterpiece for sure. Which is why I would not recommend watching them super close together. Yeah, there's just a few knocks. Like there was a there was um, setting it in COVID. We've talked about this a while uh, for for a bit now for over two years. I, I don't appreciate that happening. I see why they did it, but I'm not a big fan of it. Um, and then um, the second thing is in terms of like the outlandish, the CGI, the spectacular of this one. It was just. It was over the top and almost um, just really far fetched when you when you compare it to the first one. Um, but it's a much it's on a much grander scale. But Knives Out, the intimacy of, of Knives Out is kind of what what makes it work for me. A few things though, uh, Jan- Janelle Monae can act her ass off. She was amazing in it, and then Dave Bautista. If you put him, if I had to choose between having him in a movie or Dwayne the Rock Johnson, I'm a, I used to be. I, I mean, I am a Dwayne the Rock Johnson fan. Dave Bautista is fucking phenomenal. He's getting, uh, he's getting better. He's getting better with every uh, every movie. Ev- better with every movie he does. Um. So yeah, I mean, I'm excited to see where the third one goes. I hope hopefully it gets back to its roots. But Craig, what did you think? Yeah, uh, very similar to what you experienced. I did the inverse, though. I, I watched the original Knives Out the night before it like dropped on Netflix. Um, and so then I watched Glass Onion the, the following night. So the same thing you did, just the reverse order. Yeah, it was a very fun time at the movies. I enjoyed it quite a bit. I'd recommend people see it. But it unfortunately does live in the shadow of the original Knives Out, which is amazing. Um, it just has – It's you can't help but tie it to the original because it's – you know, it's in the same kind of thing. My my more specific kind of thing that I didn't love about it was just sort of the tone. It felt kind of goofy, uh, whereas the previous Knives Out, like the regular Knives Out, just had 
it was like a serious movie with some like kind of quirkiness and silliness kind of sprinkled on top of it. And this felt like it was the opposite. It was a, it was a quirky, silly movie with some seriousness woven in. And I just preferred the tone of the first one. Well, the, the, I feel like the quirkiness in, in the first Knives Out was based solely around the characters, right? It was like yeah. the individual yeah, characters yeah, yeah. brought their yeah. own quirkiness. This, it was like... That's a good point. The characters, it was the location, it was the game they played, it was all of it tied in together. It was like, this is kind of fucking stupid. It's fun, yep. but it's stupid. And AJ, you also watched uh, the Banshees of Inisherin. Or the Banshees. I watched the Banshees of Inisherin. Drink a pint with Eddie O'Neill down at the pub. Uh, I fucking love this movie so goddamn much. Wow. Uh, top, definitely in the top ten of the year. Definitely in the top five of the year. It was just. A weird, great fucking movie. And when we go into uh, the news segment, we're gonna we're gonna do a recap of 2022. But a perfect example of um, uh, independent, not independent, but um, original movies and original scripts are not dead, folks. These are the lifeline of of cinema. Right. And uh, even though I watched it at home and it was in the theaters, I I was I was giddy watching this movie. It was so good. It was so weird. Um, and I recommend it to anyone. It's on HBO Max right now. Yeah, HBO Max definitely worth worth watching. All right, you ready to do this? Let's do it. All right, folks. So 2022 is in the books, uh, and every year we try to uh, recap uh, what the year was like in cinema. So we're gonna go through a couple categories. Bill, you obviously see more than I would ever see. Um, so we have I have a few categories. I want your take. Your, your takes on, and then I'll add as I seem um, like I can add to that. So, um, sure. Let's start with the, the low, the bottom. What was or what were your biggest disappointments and letdowns last year? All right. So, like you said, I, I, so I reviewed over 70 movies this year. So, uh, I tried to break them all down as best I could here. I went through the list. Not my best. Not my best year. Is your back hurting from just carrying this team? <laughs> okay, not your best year. Okay, not my best year. I would like to get closer to 100, but um, for biggest disappointments, and this is not my actual worst of the year. These were ones that are just letdowns. Um, Elvis was a disappointment because of how good Austin Butler was in it, but how disappointed I was in the entire movie around him that kind of let him down. So Elvis, I think, could have been really special and, and unfortunately wasn't. So that was, a, that was a disappointment. Doctor Strange 2 was a huge disappointment. I mean, Doctor Strange 1 was great and the hype for this one was great uh, or was very high. And the show WandaVision was also great, which was leading into this. So my, my expectations and my excitement for Doctor Strange 2 Multiverse of Madness were very, very high. And then what we got was extremely disappointing. So that makes my disappointment list. Uh, and Plus the last a thousand to that, yeah. And the last disappointment I had was "Don't Worry, Darling," because I didn't start getting disappointed until halfway through, and then it like completely collapsed. So like the whole first half of the movie was building me up and up and up and loving this movie, and then it just dive bombed. So that was also a huge disappointment. Amongst those of of the bottom of the barrel, Bill, would you rate one movie as the absolute worst movie of the year? Is it included in that? Three or four, or is there a separate movie that is the worst of the year? Separate. It's a separate list. Uh, the worst movie. I got. I got two things. Uh, what do you got? One. <laughs> the worst movie of the year was Jurassic World Dominion. 
easily. There was no other movie that made me actively angry than Jurassic World Dominion. And to use to use Jurassic parlance, uh, that was one big pile of shit. I would also say The Matrix Resurrections. The Matrix Resurrections oh. was so bad. Was so bad. It was also the worst movie of this year. That's how bad the Matrix Resurrections was from last year. <laughs> okay, let's 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 just. Th- I know we talked about this uh, for a little bit already. Dominion had so much potential because um, there were two things. You're you're bringing back the full original cast that we all know and love. Okay. Mm-hmm. The second thing, which I still haven't seen it, um, but I was always under the impression after. Uh, the last Jurassic Park world, land, whatever, is that the dinosaurs were fully just terrorizing the United States of America. And it seems like that was not true. And then the cast, original cast, was put in such a weird, awkward, stupid place that the movie was just, it would never work. Is that, are, are those the two reasons why it's the worst movie of the year? Poorly written, poorly acted, uh, poor effects, uh, I mean, it's just none of it worked. And like you said, the draw to this movie was based on the end of Fallen Kingdom. We would expect it to see uh, dinosaurs integrated into the real world and trying to like round them up and see those cool interactions. And this movie jumps ahead two years or whatever and is already past that. And they're all back in a park again. And it just becomes another park movie. And it's just, it was just bad. Across the board is terrible. Nothing, nothing worked about it. And... Uh, the Matrix not only was the worst movie last year, but probably of I would say the last 10, 15 years. You think? <clears throat> I, it's, I mean, maybe the worst movie of all time. I don't know, but I wanted to include it on this list because I was still mad about it from last uh, year. Well, that depends on when the Christmas train came out. You shut <laughs> the fuck up. <laughs> okay. Uh, um. Back to. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this edition of Train Talk. Train Talk. Okay, honorable mentions of the year. What are some great movies that you saw last year that maybe are outside of the top five? Uh, a couple good ones um, throughout the year. 13 Lives, the Ron Howard movie about the kids who were trapped in the cave. I thought that was really, really good. So I want to give that an honorable mention. Uh, Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. The, the horror comedy I really, really enjoyed this year. Prey, the the low budget Predator uh, prequel, I thought was fantastic. Hundred uh, percent. Fresh, the the movie on Hulu um, about one of the many cannibalism movies of the year. Yuck! That was very good. Uh, and then my last honorable mention, I think, was the Batman. Uh, you know, it, it's one of those movies that I really enjoyed at the time. Then I thought more about it and didn't like it as much. Now I look back on it, and I actually think I like it more than I did more recently. Like the Batman, I think it's got some. It had some some really great moments, so I want to shut that out. Uh, I think those are all good. I would have probably moved a prey into my top five, but I think I'm I, I think I'm aligned with most of those movies. Yeah, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna fight you on on any of those, and I'm 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 in agreement. Okay, Bill George, your top five films of 2022, in no particular order. It's so it's more of a top six. I'm gonna give you one movie that straddles the line between best of year and honorable mentions. I couldn't decide because it's too fresh, which is Babylon, which we're gonna review in this episode. But I liked yep. it enough to either put it honorable mentions or maybe top five. But like it's it's right on the line, so Babylon is in there. Um, Love that. My proper Check. top five would be number five would be Banshees. 
Love it. Which we just talked about. Not going to fight that. Number four would be Everything Everywhere All at Once. Love that. Uh, number three would be Tar. Man, you love that movie. Okay, Blanchett. Okay. Oh, it's outstanding. Uh, number two, Top Gun Maverick. Which, I don't know. Stun Silence? I don't know. Uh, no reaction on that one? It's like on everybody's <laughs> list for best movie of the year, but okay. Uh, all right, I'm, I'm going to wait for your first one. And then my number one best movie of the year, as I've already shared in the past, it's The Menu, easily. Oh, my God. Late break. I love The Menu so much. Not only my favorite movie of the year, one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, it's on HBO Max now, so please check it out. Uh, absolutely love, love, love that movie. Saw it twice. Uh, already excited to watch it again. Yeah, that's my pick. The Menu's my pick. It always has been my pick ever since I saw it. Okay. Uh, a few things. Uh, we didn't talk about The Menu in the intro of the follow-up. Both Craig and I have watched it now that is correct um i enjoyed it i liked it uh i told you it was in the same vein as like a like a midsummer type movie where like i'm gonna watch it once it gave me a lasting effect i liked it but i'm probably never gonna turn it on again i've done the thing i've done the dance we've danced it which i think is i think it's a damn shame to hear that but I actually feel just the opposite. I enjoyed it quite a bit the first time through, but it struck me, and I'm obviously influenced by Bill's just barrage of <laughs> text-based <laughs> hot takes uh, uh, in quotes from this movie. Uh, I feel like it's a type of movie that will get better with each rewatch, and you like notice little funny things and subtle things. Certainly the humor aspect, which I think, Bill, correct me if I'm wrong, is a big part of what you enjoyed about it. It kind of missed me on first watch a lot of that just because there's a lot of tension involved and you sort of are like wrapped up in that, um, or at least I was. Uh, so I feel I haven't rewatched it yet, but I probably will, and I expect that I will enjoy it as much and maybe more in different ways upon revisiting it. Yeah, it is. A, it is first and foremost a comedy and a satire, and I think the I think part of the issue is people are going in with improper expectations because of poor marketing. Which the same thing happened with the village, which the village by M Night Shyamalan is essentially a romance, uh, but it was treated and and marketed as like a horror thriller, and then you see it and you're like, oh, isn't that isn't that thrilling? And the menu is also a bunch of people I know thought it was going to be about cannibalism or like they're like it's it's amped up as like, oh my god, what are they serving or yeah, what is yeah, the yeah, thing? Yeah. And like, and then you go into it, and it's actually a satire about foodie culture and about fine dining and like that that part of life. And it's it's just dialed up to eleven, and it's hilarious. And to me, the humor is what makes it. Like it is my sense of humor in a nutshell. Like I just was like crying, laughing at, at almost all of it. Um, and so yes, the first time you see it, you are caught up in the in the plot. But once you are past that, you know what happens plot wise. You can really dig into some of like the, the, the dry humor, the delivery, the lines. Um, so yeah, I definitely recommend rewatching for sure. Bill, there was two movies that I know you spoke okay, pretty highly of that didn't make either one of your honorable mentions or your top list. Um, one is Barbarian. Yep. And the other one was Nope. Is there a reason why neither film made it to your your top five or your honorable mentions for the year? Um, if I were going to move one up, it'd be Barbarian. But Barbarian is, is also is one of those movies for me that I would only watch the one time. And it was good. It was definitely very, very good. But I don't know. It didn't It didn't have a staying power to me that when I looked through my list of everything I saw, it didn't jump out to me as as in the top. And then Nope, 
Um, nope was very well done and had some good scenes, but nothing about that movie stuck out. And I don't think it's nearly as, as high caliber as some of his other work. So, so that one didn't, didn't do it for me as much. Uh, two movies that I just want to throw on the, the broader honorable mentions list. Um, all Quiet on the Western Front. I know that we had some disagreements about it, but I think that's definitely going to make one of my um, my top my top list for last year. I, I loved it, um, and I, I think it deserves a rewatch soon ish. And the other one was kind of a, a, a one one that got buried um, was an Adam Sandler basketball film on Netflix called Hustle, um, which I absolutely uh loved hannah loved it it was it was quick it was easy i mean adam sandler loves basketball and adam sandler uh basically knows everyone in the nba and got them all to to start in this movie with him and it shows his passion for the game um and i i really liked it bill i think at some point you should try to watch it maybe on your next flight or a uh, rainy day and i think it was um it was one that got buried that i think deserves a little bit more attention that um than it should have gotten yeah, I still did not see that. There's a couple other bigger movies that I did not see that are making a lot of end-of-year lists, so I did not see Marcel the Shell. I did not see After Sun, which a lot of people are putting as their top movie. And I did not see RRR, which is the Indian movie on Netflix. Yeah. It's also on a lot of top lists. So there's definitely a couple blind spots that I got to fill in, a couple gaps from the year. Um, but those would be the ones that I... If, if you're wondering why didn't XYZ make the list and it was one of those, it's because I did not get to it, and I apologize. Uh, also, quick shout out for my top five for TV for the year, because we also talk about TV, Netflix and Bill, segment of the show. Oh, we're doing TV list now, too. Okay. Uh, I figured I'd just throw it out there. For me, I had a quick top five uh, for this year. I would say Boys Season 3. Yep. Uh, Reacher Season 1. Didn't watch it. Uh, Andor Season 1. It was good. Uh, House of Dragons Season 1. It was okay. Uh, and The Bear. If you haven't watched Bear... Turn off your TV, smash your head in the wall, turn your TV back on, and, and put it on. <laughs> it is the best fuck. It's crazy. In 2022, we saw the absolute opposite ends of of um, food service depiction in media. We have the menu, which is outlandish, uh, crazy concept. Oh, astronomical tier high fine dining like yeah but then wrapped up in this dark comedy satirical you know package and then the bear which is just raw gritty sweaty yeah, disgusting yeah. it just uh anxiety inducing um and it was great to see both of them make their 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 way to the screen big and small last year yep yep yeah decent year solid year solid year what are you looking forward to next year? Anything on your list that stands out? We don't have to go into detail, but maybe one or two that are like, yes, I cannot wait. Uh, at July 27th, 2023, mark your calendars. Uh, that's the day I'm looking forward to because uh, Oppenheimer, Christopher Nolan's next film, comes out. Super excited for Oppenheimer. Is this, is this motherfucker detonating a live nuke on, on a movie? Uh, allegedly, there are no visual effects involved in his atomic bomb recreation so it's miniatures it's practical effects it's whatever whatever miniatures so oppenheimer it just like it just snaps to like these like <laughs> like these claymation things like <laughs> melting in the desert oh my god so i'm amped up for oppenheimer i read the book it's based on i went to los alamos like i did my research i am ready for oppenheimer but then big nuke guy 
Bill is a well-known nuke guy. Huge. Guy loves his nukes. There's also same day. Same day. The studios, as a as a way of counter-programming, is also putting out the Greta Gerwig, Margot Robbie, Ryan Gosling uh, Barbie movie. Also comes out on the same day as Oppenheimer. And I'm excited for that, too. So July 27th is going to be the big day of the year, for sure. Wow. Um, Nothing will warm up your nuclear winter like a Barbie movie. Like Malibu Barbie. <laughs> in the immediate aftermath. I got one... Uh, we talked about it at the end of last year. It was supposed to come out this year. So Scorsese's next movie, Killers of the Flower Moon, was supposed to come out in 2022. It was actually bumped to 2023 because Will Smith's um, Emancipation film actually took uh, Killers of the, Fla- uh, of the Flower Moon's spot. So they bumped Scorsese into next year. It is an Apple TV Plus release and I think it's also doing a limited theater run as well. And I am very much looking forward to that. All right, Bill. Um, let's move on to Should I Go See It? Let's. This week, we'll be talking about Babylon, the Whale, and Mathegan. Uh, so first one is Babylon. And according to imdb.com, a tale of outsized ambition and outrageous excess it traces the rise and fall of multiple characters during an era of unbridled decadence and depravity, depravity, depravity in early Hollywood. Bill, should I go see it? Yes. This is an emphatic yes for me. I absolutely loved it. I absolutely loved it. But I am also Wait, 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 wait. What? Wait. What? Wait. We the biggest thing about this film is not that it's 3 hours and 17 minutes or whatever it is. As we all went to the movies and we saw it together. We all saw it together. Like one big happy family. We did. It was the Should I Go See It podcast year-end company party. <laughs> On tour. And I know Bill's... <laughs> you didn't, I didn't even fall for the popcorn trick. So, Bill, okay. We saw it all together. We had a great time. We got a few drinks afterwards. Yep. What did you love about this movie? Well, first of all, I was already in the bag for it from the jump because it's about the magic of cinema, and so is my life. So either way, I was going to love it. Uh, But I thought that it was beautifully shot and scored. Um, I just thought on a technical level, it was remarkable in terms of the craftsmanship. Admittedly, I think the first half was a whole lot stronger than the second because it leaned more into humor, um, and it gets a little more serious for the second half. Yep. But I think, you know, based on our conversations, I think I loved all of it. I just love the second half a little bit less um, versus I think you guys seem to feel a little bit stronger that the second act pulls it down a little bit more. So I think that's where we might disagree slightly. Yeah, I'm not going to knock on anything you just said, but I will tell you from my point of view, the last 45 minutes almost ruined the entire film for me. See, that I think is a very extreme and strong reaction. Extreme and strong reactions are kind of his thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, have you never met me? <laughs> that's fair point. Um, well, for, well, for, well, well, first. Okay, what? First, just to set the scene a little bit, just for scene me. the audience. The movie is about, it's it's sort of an, an epic about old Hollywood. And it follows basically four characters as they're like rise and fall over about a five-year stretch as the, as the Hollywood transitions from silent film to talkies. Yeah, you get the silent film to talkies into like color film is basically like how is where we we follow people so through the roaring end of the roaring 20s into the 30s and then right before um 
World War II is basically like our our window of time. And the first two acts are just fuck like hold yourself in and just like brace yourself because it's a a freight train. It moves so goddamn quick. It's, yeah, it's dynamite. And it's dynamite. Comedic gold. It is just written well and acted well and there's sight gags and there's just so much shit going on. And then what ends up happening on the third act, it's like, it's not even tonal whiplash. It's like, what the fuck is going on right now? Like, you carried us in this weird uh, rocket ship of insaneness. And then we just left the stratosphere. And now we're just like in this different universe of just fucking weird and crazy. And I wanted to get brought back a little bit to Earth to the, the place we started with because yeah it 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 ended and it got to a point where I was just like I I don't think I like this anymore you know and if it wasn't and I said this when we left the film I said if it wasn't for the first two hours hour forty five I would have given it a hard a hard no a hard no but alas we're here and it redeemed itself and the message at the end was nice um, weird but nice um, like you said you're getting visuals you're getting the best actors probably in film today on on the screen. Yep, yep. Uh, you're getting some no names you'll never heard of that deserve uh, more screen time. Hopefully in the next few years. Um, and then Damien Chazelle, it's clear that he was able to do this movie and to make a three hour and fifteen minute runtime because the success he's had with both La La Land and Whiplash first man like he knows what he's doing and he has a vision and he can do it um i am concerned now after the the box office bomb that this is if the studio and the execs will give him um the kind of reign that he had with this film on on his next ones bill could you sh- could you share with the audience some of the uh financial stats that you gave us after we saw it Oh, I mean, I think the budget was like two hundred million or something. It's it was an expensive movie with all these actors and sets, and it's you know the runtime. And then I think the first weekend it made six, if I remember correctly, or less. Um, six. Yeah, right now I think the running tally is twelve point five million dollars. Twelve million back on your two hundred million dollar movie on a two hundred plus. Wow. I mean, with opening weekend, Christmas weekend was three point six million, and then the gross worldwide, as it stands today, is twelve point five. It's taking a fucking bath. Three, yeah, three million on a on a Christmas weekend of a movie with Brad Pitt and Margot Robbie is like shocking. Um, I will say for people that are like curious about it or or interested in it, uh, it it does not have a lot in terms of plot. It's more of like a series of almost vignettes or little sequences. It's much more about, like, it's much more of a character study. And it covers a lot of different themes, which is also what I liked about it. Like, we have our character arcs, but there's also commentary on film, the role of criticism in film, uh, the aging out of stars, race relations at the time. Like, there's a lot of different themes to unpack in it if you're interested in that type of thing. But for people that think it's going to be like, uh, there's no overarching plot of like, here are our characters, here's the dilemma, they have to complete this movie by X time. Like, there's no, like, actual, like, plot that you're following. It's more just following these characters for three hours. Um, so just be prepared for that, because I think some people might see the ads and also maybe make their own assumptions or be misled. It's not a typical movie in that way. Yeah. Um, but again, I, I loved it. I was I was all for it. I, I'm definitely, once it is released, um, 
I'm going to watch it again. I probably won't watch all of it, but I'm definitely going to watch that first act, uh, first two acts, because it's just so goddamn good. Um, you uh, Just so you know going into it, um, just like every Damien Chazelle movie, um, well, I, I haven't seen First Man, but heavily powered by the soundtrack, which is absolute, and the, and the score, which is absolutely amazing. And two, for those watching with family members, parents, relatives, there is a don't uh, don't. <laughs> there is a gratuitous amount of violence, intercourse, drug use, everything. I mean, the, the first thirty minutes is just tits and balls. So I just want to let you know before you go into it, um, the excess of old Hollywood yeah, for sure. Man, imagine being alive during that time. All right, yeah, they they knew how to party. The second movie uh, we will be talking about today is The Whale. Uh, according to imdb.com, a reclusive English teacher attempts to reconnect with his estranged teenage daughter, um, starring the absolutely incredible Brendan Fraser. Bill, should I go see it? Yes. And at this point, you might as well give him the statue for best actor now. Just like hand it over. Let's get it over with. Wow. <laughs> um, Brandon Fraser is incredible in this movie. His casting was such an inspired choice because he brings so much humanity to the role and has such a built-in connection with most of the audience that it was just, it was brilliant to cast him and then he delivers on it on top of that. Um, so this is a Darren Aronofsky film. And I'm, again, I'm kind of already in the bag for it because I love Aronofsky. He did um, Pie. Um, that was like his breakout movie way back in the day. Requiem for a Dream, The Fountain, The Wrestler, Black Swan, Mother, which was my pick for best movie of 2017. So I love Aronofsky, and he did not disappoint. There are a few things in this movie that prevent it from being on par with some of those movies, but it's still very, very strong. Uh, and Brendan Fraser is incredible. And I was crying buckets by the end of it. So. Great movie. Great movie. The things that didn't quite work was it's based on a stage play, and you can kind of tell that the staging and blocking of the movie like just feels a little off, and the writing feels a little unrealistic, and I think because it's written for stage. And also the performances feel a little off, and they're a little over the top, and again, I think it's because normally you'd be playing it over the top to an audience uh, in a theater. Versus when you're in a movie, obviously the movie you can be a lot more subtle and intimate, but they don't. So a couple of the performances around him were like a little off, um, but he was great. The score was great. Uh, the movie's well made. It was in 4-3 uh, aspect ratio, which was an interesting choice. I haven't seen that since Ghost Story. Like why? Like why are we doing, why are we doing, like what is the point of that? There has to be a point. What's the fucking point? There hasn't been a square TV made in 15 fucking years. The movie does take place in like the early 2000s. So maybe it was part of the time shift of the movie. I, I don't know. It was in 4-3. I thought it was an interesting choice. Yeah. It, there's a lot of things that are fucking interesting. Okay. A few things. <laughs> um, uh, Vegas Insider has, to your point, uh, Brendan Fraser uh, for best actor uh, at minus 165. So he is the heavy uh, favorite to win um, best actor this year um, and part of the reason so again to give back I wouldn't even talk about this but part of the reason he's favorite is because it's it's a very physical performance he plays a character that is morbidly obese um, and so there's a lot of physicality and hardship 
to the role. And I have seen some people go the other way and say he doesn't necessarily, it wasn't necessarily the best performance, but because of the heavy breathing and the physicality in the role, it just makes it look like it's the best performance, but it might not be. But to me, that's what worked for Leonardo DiCaprio to get his because The Revenant is not necessarily his best performance, but it also is super physically difficult and you're watching the hardship on screen. So it worked for Leo and I think it'll work for Brandon Fraser as well. Love it. And even besides physicality, I do think it's a very, very good performance. How did hero of uh, Stranger Things Sadie Sink do as his daughter in the film? She was honestly the weak link to me. Really? She was the weakest part of the movie. I don't necessarily think it's her fault. Again, I think the writing was very broad. And so she comes in as just like the screamy, angsty teenager and plays that like so like dialed to 11 that you just get annoyed with it. You're like this, like I've been around angsty teenagers. I was an angsty teenager, but like this is like, like, I don't know what to tell you. Like she's a brat beyond, beyond any reasonable conception of what a brat is in real life. Like it's like so dialed over the top. I just, I couldn't stand it. So because you're always waiting for that character to have that, like those little moments where they redeem themselves or you see what's underneath or whatever. And you don't have any of that. It's like a one dimension character that is super frustrating to watch. So she unfortunately was like the victim of, of pretty flat writing. Um, so I got to watch it before award season is pretty much what you're saying. Right. Okay. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Yep. Uh, last film we're going to talk about today is Mathegan. Uh, or Megan uh, for Megan. U.S. audiences. Uh, according to IMDb.com, a robotics engineer at a toy company built a lifelike doll that begins to take on a life of its own. Bill, is this a female Chucky? Uh, basically. And yes, you should go see it. Why are we doing... Fuck off. Why are we doing You know this? what's funny? Can I just jump in? My fiance and I were sitting on the couch and we saw a commercial for this movie and it just looked, and it was like sort of a longer, longer trailer than I, I forget where it was, but it was long, like a full trailer for some reason was on our TV. And we were both just like, what the fuck? And I was like, you know what? <laughs> I wonder. And I went to should I go see it.com because uh, I'm Instagramless. And sure enough, there's a big old fat yes staring me right in the face when I looked up the Megan uh, review. So I'm very curious because th- these trailers look absurd. And not in a good way. Not in a good way, I will add. It is I absurd. It is absurd. believe it. No, it is absurd, but in a good way. So it is basically- And it's not even R. It's PG-13. What are we doing here? Let me explain, AJ. So first okay. of all, it basically is a AI updated version of Child's Play, the original Chucky movie. Um, mm. And it's executed to perfection. It knows what it is. It understands the assignment, so to speak, as the kids say. Uh, and it's really, really good. My main gripe is that I wish it was rated R because, you know, it there, there could have ratcheted up some more intensity if it was R, could have been a little more gory. Uh, but even as a PG-13 kind of watered-down version, it's really good, and it's very cleverly written thematically. So, you know, every monster is a metaphor, and this takes some not so veiled shots at screen time and devices taking over parenting. It like includes a scene where like it shows a kid's reaction to having technology taken away and they act like an addict, essentially having something taken away from them. Um, And so there's some actually some really interesting themes written into it for this, you know, silly, but knows it's silly uh, thriller. And Alison Williams in the lead is fantastic. She, she is very naturalistic and it feels like a real 
person you would know in real life. It doesn't come across as a character that exists slowly to move the plot forward. Talk about in the bag. I do love Allison Williams. Well, I'm just saying, like, I, I'm just going to say, like, talk about a skewed <laughs> Just because I have a crush on Allison Williams doesn't mean she she doesn't give a great performance. It's not a crush. I've seen crushes. No, it's not a crush. It's an obsession. <laughs> yeah, it's a borderline. Like, LA, the LAPD know about you, and they want to make sure that, like, you don't fly to California. <laughs> she does a great job regardless. And the voice work and the movement for Megan is outstanding and it's like i was laughing throughout the movie i'm guessing it's a body double with some effects besides the scenes that are clearly like a doll uh but they do a really nice job like it was really it's fun it's a fun movie um because you know exactly what it is it, it it knows what it is and it's just it's a good time and there's also lots of fun nods to technology like for the doll to charge it sits on like a big conductive charging pad next to the kid's bed, just like sitting there and it just conductively charges. And like it's just really thought out and funny uh, nods to, to technology as well. Uh, there was an interview with the director, Gerard Johnstone, who was like, I, there is a cut in the bag that is like R, like R plus. Like, oh, I would, I would watch an unrated version of this in a heartbeat. Ready to go. So maybe we'll get lucky and there'll be a, a director's cut that's released at some at some point because I think I'd, I'd watch it for that. They're going to sequelize the shit out of it. Like get ready for that. Oh really? I'm, I think it's already making good money and it's a horror movie. So it means the budget usually by default is very low. Um, so yeah, they're going to, they're going to make more of these. No doubt about it. And I will watch all of them because it's, again, it's, it's a fun, uh, it's a fun movie. Love it. Um, all right, Bill, to wrap it up, Netflix and Bill, what have you been watching on TV? Uh, a couple. I actually watched a couple of movies, but they were on Netflix, so I figured I'd throw them into the Netflix and Bill segment. Um, Emily the Criminal, the Aubrey Plaza drama, is on Netflix. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Um, I think it's a good little drama. It's something I hadn't seen before about a, a woman who sort of becomes desperate in terms of finding a job because she has a criminal background, so she can't get a job in a lot of places. So it talks about sort of the prejudice of that system, and she falls into uh, sort of a credit card fraud ring. And so you see kind of the behind the scenes of what that life is like. Um, and it escalates from there and it becomes sort of a typical thriller by the end. But I thought the first half in particular was very strong. So I enjoyed Emily, the criminal on Netflix. My wife uh, w- watched it. I actually jumped into the second half, which is what you told me was the, the, the I guess, weaker of the two. Yeah, the less, less interesting part. It was meh. What else you got? I also watched The Stranger on Netflix. It's an Australian drama based on a true story with um, one character as an undercover uh, police officer uh, who kind of lures a potential criminal into sort of their undercover net, trying to get him to confess to an abduction that happened like years and years earlier. Uh, But obviously they build a bond throughout the process and it's like whether they're going to get this guy to confess and whether it's actually him or not. And it's, it's a good drama. Uh, by the end of it, I was really kind of enraptured in, in what was going to happen. I was really caught up in it. And I looked up the true story afterwards because I was interested in it. So like, it's got a lot going for it. But that first hour to kind of get there was very slow. And it's it's just a, kind of a slog. Um, I also had to throw on subtitles halfway through because I could not understand what they were saying uh, because of the mumbling and the Australian accents and everything else. So uh, it wasn't the best thing I've seen recently. I, I gave it a no on the site overall. But if that sounds of interest to you, it might be worth checking out. And and by the end, it did get pretty exciting. Love it. All right, Bill. What's on the horizon? 
Uh, I have a ticket to, speaking of Dave Bautista being fantastic, I have a ticket for uh, A Knock at the Cabin, the next M. Night Shyamalan movie. Uh, comes out in February. Uh, I might have to go with you. Yeah, you want to come? Yeah. Uh, Batista's in that. I'm very excited. That's all I really know about it because I don't watch trailers, especially for an M. Night movie. So I have a ticket to that. And then one other thing I want to make a comment on, I was on iTunes looking for something to watch and I came across a documentary about speedrunning video games. I don't know if you watch speedrunning huh. at all. I have. Um, but I have as well. And so there's a documentary about it. kind of takes you through some of the main people in that scene. It also talks about the event that happens twice a year called Games Done Quick that raises millions of dollars for different charities. They do it um, twice a year. And it started as like in someone's basement and now it's like a huge big thing. So they kind of follow that. So it looks like an interesting documentary. I watched the trailer. I was like, oh, that's interesting. The runtime on this movie is two hours and 27 minutes. About a video game? And it's a documentary speed about speed running. These people can beat Mario in four minutes, but it takes two hours and 27 <laughs> to tell this story. Like, I don't understand. So, like, I don't want to watch it now. Like, it's too long. Anyway, I thought it was ironic and comedic when I read that. That's crazy. But I might, I might end up watching. We'll see. That's all I got. All right, Bill. Um, here's to a healthy and prosperous 2023 for you, Craig, and for everyone out there. Buy some gear. Thank you, everybody, for listening to the should i go see it podcast please make sure to follow on instagram at should i go see it and buy some merch at should i go see it dot redbubble.com